going into a new series called Resurrection Stories. And I can't think about stories without being a book nerd just a little bit uh, because there are some really notable examples. Like stories have the power to change things. Getting information, getting data is one thing. We can make a decision based on data. But when, but when that information is put into a story, there's something different about it, right? It, it can take a big idea and make it really personal. It can get us asking questions about things that really matter. And stories can help us to kind of examine ourselves and to take a look at how, how what we've just heard might fit into us and apply to us. My English teacher kicked in and I started thinking about some, some books that actually changed the world. Some things that affected the culture that we live in now, some things that affected the country that we live in now, that you know, we, we miss it if we don't think about it. So I, I wanna talk about a few stories really quickly that shaped the world and culture. The first one, we're going way back in the day, The Odyssey by Homer. Now this was written in the eighth century BC, but what it does for us is it shaped the culture that we live in now. Have you ever watched and enjoyed Star Wars or Indiana Jones or Star Trek or the Mario movie, right? Or Stand By Me or a thousand others. If you appreciate a story about a heroic quest, about a journey back home, about about facing the antagonist and finding a way through. Uh, what the Odyssey does is it presents all of those things. And all of those things have influenced so many stories in Western culture specifically. Also, one of the things I appreciate about the Odyssey is that men and women are both shown as being pretty capable, pretty strong, pretty powerful, pretty notable individuals. It shows everybody kind of as we are, the good and the bad. Uh, second book. Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Eight, she wrote it in 1818. Y'all, Mary Shelley was 19 years old when she published Frankenstein. She wrote it on a dare, right? She was with a couple of other writer friends, and it made her the mother of science fiction, right? So many modern stories that we can look to point back to what she did. Uh, she, she changed the landscape of how we present uh, the role of morality and ethics in the sciences, the, the nature of pride and what that can drive us to do. Where does human responsibility stop and God start, right? That's, that's what this book is about. And we see it, uh, you know, I, I like movies as well, so we see it everywhere from like Blade Runner to RoboCop. RoboCop, y'all, come on. <laughs> the modern-day Frankenstein, uh, the, the more recent movie, Megan, the M3-G-A-N, Megan, that's a Frankenstein story. Jurassic Park, remember that line? It's like, you, you, you were so excited about what you could do, you didn't think about whether you should. That's Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. And obviously, of course, young Frankenstein, and we can quote that all we want at the barbecue. Yeah. Next book. Now, those two books changed culture and how we present our stories, how we think about things. These next two books actually changed uh, American society specifically. The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. It was written in 1906. Uh, Upton Sinclair was a journalist, and he wrote this story about an immigrant family in Chicago, and one of the main characters, Jurgis, he works at a meatpacking plant. 
So the book was published in 1906. Just goes crazy uh, popu popularity because people are reading this and they can't believe the conditions that the meatpacking plant is in. It's dangerous, it's unsafe for the workers, and because it's unsafe for the workers, it's producing unsafe food for the masses. And so, it's released in 1906, and by the end of 1906, the government passes the Meat Inspection Act of 1906 and the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906, basically the beginnings of the FDA, because of this book, because stories have the power to create change. Last one. Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe, published in 1852. This was the first widely read political novel that dealt with the issue of, of slavery, right? And it addressed the cruelty of slavery, human exploitation, one of the first works to be written from the perspective, not of the slave owner, but the slave. And, and it shows the faults of a legal system to protect everyone. So it radically influenced the perception of slavery and people, it was published in 1852 and people go to the polls during the next elections reporting that they had read this book and it changed the way they wanted to vote. That's powerful. Now it's, it, it's, a, it's a bit dated, but you can't deny the influence of the story to change people's hearts, change people's minds, change people's decisions. Could have named a whole bunch of others, but this is not English class, this is a message. So just really briefly, Don Quixote, Thousand Years of Solitude, 1984, Lord of the Flies, The Color Purple. If you want to join my book club, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> Could be really fun. I don't have a book club, but if anybody wants to join, just let me know. Um, so basically, the point here is that story has the power of change locked within. Now, last week, we saw that because we had a bunch of people respond to story, right? Our, our, our quick Easter Sunday recap, the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about the resurrection of Jesus giving meaning and power and perspective to the believer and it being the central miracle for all of Christianity and how Jesus won victory over sin and death and in his resurrection, he made that resurrection life available for us, not just after death, but right now. We can live in that victory right now and that was that was our story on Easter Sunday. Uh, Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Paul says, when you were stuck, this is the message version. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants of the universe of their sham authority at the cross and he marched them naked through the streets. Man, message version, Eugene Peterson gets after it, doesn't he? Wow. Uh, so, so people responded to that last week. Such, such a great love and sacrifice for us. I mentioned this on Easter Sunday, it demands a response. It, it, it requires a response. Whether it's a yes or no from us, it requires a reaction. And so we had a lot of people uh, last week, decide, I want to start something new with Jesus. This, the story of his life is speaking to me. Um, and it's no small thing, right? It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of courage and humility. It takes a, it, it takes a willingness to surrender and to let go of the old ways. And that's the power of the story of Jesus. Um, 
And in response for, in response for that response, in response for that humility where we say, Lord, I hear you, and I, fe- I hear you speaking to me. I know you're touching my heart, and I, I, I want to follow you. I want to let go of the old ways. In response for that, Jesus changes the way that we see everything. He changes the way that we see the world. We're still living in the same world, the same people, the same situations, the same struggles. You, know, we, you, you, you accept Jesus, it doesn't mean that all your struggles go away. It just means now you have perspective, and you have help, and you have support, and you have a way through the struggle. Um, and when we see the world differently, though, like, I don't know if that was your experience. It was my experience. I received Jesus, and I said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And all of a sudden, everything looks different. Like, I'm think, I have different perspective. I'm looking at things uh, fr- from, from a little bit of a higher vantage point. And one of my thoughts was, wow, everything is different. What do I do with this? What do I do with it? When when all authority has been given to him and he's given it to you and he's, he's setting you on a course of a new life, what do you do with a gift like that? So Jesus has an answer in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So we receive new life from Jesus and we ask, well, what do I do with this? And he says, take that new life and go help others be released into new life. That's the mission. That's the goal. But when I see go and make disciples of all nations, I gotta be real honest, it feels daunting. Like all, like all nations? Could we just start small? Like, could we just start like with, I don't know, like Montenegro or something? Because that's, it's tiny. You know, could we just start there? And, and it hits me differently because when I read it, I, I, I automatically put my name into a lot of scriptures. So when I read this before, when I read this before, I just relax a little bit. It comes across to me as, therefore go, Darren, and make disciples of all nations, Darren, right? And, and it seems... You know, so if you're that way, I just want to make three things really clear. First of all, Jesus is talking to all of us, not just you, right? He's talking to all of us. Um, you may not feel ready to disciple a nation yet, but he is showing it yet. Anybody, by the way, anybody in here feel ready to disciple the whole nation? Yes, Shane, come on. That's awesome. Okay, you're, you're preaching next week, I just want to say. Um, you are already more equipped than you think you are to share the love of God and share the story of Jesus and share your own story with someone. Usually it's someone who's right in front of you all the time. Usually it's someone who's right there, all right? Uh, Another thing that, to keep us from being intimidated, Christ says you have all authority in heaven and earth. So let that sink in for a second. All means all. You have all authority in Christ. All authority. So you can go anywhere he says you can go. You can say anything he says you can say, right? Anything that he is directing you to do, he's not sending you right into a wall. He's not sending you right off a cliff. He's sending you into the realization of 
of a blessing that comes from obedience. That's what he's sending you into. So Jesus said, I, he, all authority has been given to me. And he gave that authority to us. So in him, you can do all things, literally. There's nothing that's too hard for us. And very last thing, he's in you, so he's with you. Wherever you go, he is in you and he's with you. So discipling a whole nation seems hard. Sometimes discipling a person seems hard, but I want, today I really want to talk about story. And we're going to talk about stories from some of the uh, figures in the, specific figures in, in the New Testament over the next few weeks. Um, because the beginning of discipling someone, even yourself, sometimes just it's as simple as a story. It's as simple as a story that connects you to a truth that you can take a step on, right? The, the road of the disciple is actually, just, it's all paved with story. Just the whole thing. Understanding stories helps us to understand and retell what the scriptures taught us. Understanding the power of story helps us to, to really identify when Jesus is sharing because he speaks in so many stories. He's, it's parable after parable after parable. And he's asking us to, he's asking us to really engage with him and, and find the deeper truths in these stories that he's telling about farmers and bricklayers and, you know, and, and masters and servants and all these kind of things. He's got things that he wants to show us. Um, and lastly, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And that's, that's our story. That's our story. And we saw this last week. Last week, we had many people open the door, respond to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And if I really get down to the nuts and bolts of it, the way that that happened was through stories. I started out sharing a little bit of Jesus' story, the resurrection. I shared a little bit of Paul's story, his conversion. And then we had a lot of people sharing just a snippet of their own stories. Like we had a line of people. Some of them had planned on coming in. Some of them heard stories about, wait, I've got something to tell. And they came up and joined the line. And we heard story after story after story, very simply told, okay, I was this before Jesus, but now... I'm this. And it was encouraging. And hearing a story released people to come and tell theirs. And, and it just began to feed itself. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing, the power of a story, the power of releasing it. So, so today and over the next few weeks, we're going to do pretty much what believers have done for centuries. We're going to tell a story and we're going to take a look at some of the deeper truths that the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to us through the story. All right, so we're going to be in the Word. We're going to be in, we're going to take a look at the road to Emmaus. Y'all familiar? Road to Emmaus? All right, so here we go. Uh, first off, an example of now not to tell a story. Mark 16, 12. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. The end. That's Mark's whole account of the road to Emmaus. So bad way to tell a story. So we'll go over to Luke, right? Because Luke gives us a little bit more detail. <laughs> it's like, Mark, bro, come on. Give me something, right? <laughs> Mark's like, I have different things I want to focus on. Okay, so we're in Luke 24, 13 through 35. There's a lot of the scripture here to go through, so stay dialed in. Stick with me. We're going we're gonna to take some breaks here. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. By the way, for those of you who don't have the context, this is after Jesus' death and burial, and, uh, and you know, they didn't find Jesus in the tomb. 
And these two disciples, one of, uh, one of them is Cleopas, or Cleopas, which actually means vision of glory, by the way. So one of them is Cleopas, and the other one is unnamed. They're walking away from Jerusalem, and they're confused, and they're sad because they don't know why it didn't work out the way they thought it was supposed to work out. Okay, so now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each, uh, talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed these things with each other. And Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Interesting. I love the way this is working out already. Uh, as an English teacher, I'm like, okay, stop, teaching point, here we go. We've got to talk about this. There's a really important truth that we can learn right from the start here. Jesus is right there in the most ordinary of moments. These two people, these two disciples, these two followers of Jesus are walking away disappointed. Now, Jesus is already resurrected. He's already walking back around, and they're walking along, talking about everything, trying to work it out, and this guy comes and walks with them. Like, oh, all right, come walk with us. Let's talk this through. They don't know it's Jesus, which begs the question, how often are we walking along, talking things out, trying to come to terms with it, trying to figure things out, trying to work through it, and Jesus is right there, and we don't even recognize it. So Lord, open up our eyes. Open up our eyes. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, I referenced this last week. And it said, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Right? And so when the Lord is speaking to Isaiah, he was saying, you might miss it if you're not focused. So be focused. Be focused. Be open. Ask the Lord to open your eyes uh, to, to his presence in our own stories. Okay, so getting back to the story, verse 17. So Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Right? Later on, he'll think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> Jesus plays along. He says, what things? He asked. So they say, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. So he would... In case you don't know, he was a prophet. Like they're talking to Jesus. So let me just explain. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. So they came and told us what they had, that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. So Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So they still don't know it's Jesus. They just think it's some guy walking around who doesn't know the situation and then calls him out. Right? They think it's a prophet coming and like, what's going on? So how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. <laughs> what a road trip. 
They're just walking along. This guy comes along. Can you imagine that? Like getting to hear the story of Jesus from Jesus? Like he's just walking along. Okay, so, so then let me tell you. There were these kings, right? And so here's how that worked out. And he's just going through the story of everything that the prophets had spoken about him. What's important about this here is that he's, he's taking a lot of conversational time with them. Like this is a seven-mile walk. I don't know how long it takes you guys to walk seven miles, but if it's me, we got time. We got, we got, we got a minute. So he's listening to their story and their concerns and then their doubts, and then he speaks to them and he explains everything. So Jesus is ready to speak. We just need to be open to listen. Jesus is ready to speak. So these guys get to share their story, and then Jesus shares with them everything that's going to answer every question that they have. We're in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But he's so sneaky, right? He's like, all right, guys, well, I'll, uh, I guess it's fun. I'll see, you, I'll see you guys later. Just waiting to see what they'll do, right? But they urged him strongly, no, 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 stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it, and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And when they did that, it says, and then he disappeared from their sight. So they sit with Jesus at the table. They invite him in for communion. They invite him in to spend time. Come into our home. Come break bread with us. Come, uh, food is, is life, right? Bread is life. Come and experience life with us. Have community with us. And he comes in and he says, great, I will. Here you go. Hands him the bread. They can see, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And then whoop, he just vanishes. And then they ask each other in verse 32, I knew it, you know? <laughs> Which is what we all would do, right? I, I knew the whole time that was Jesus. I really did. I was just waiting for you to see. So in verse 32, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Like I knew there was something about that guy. Our hearts were burning as he opened up the scriptures to us and he made all things evident. So what's important here as I'm reading it through this time is that they took time with him. They told him what was on their minds. They spent time walking and listening for him to reveal some things to him. They said, don't go. Stay. Stick around. Jesus was getting ready to just keep walking on, waiting for an invitation. And they said, no, please don't go. Please stay. Come into my house. Come and have communion with me. And when he did, they could see him for who he really is. So third point here, Jesus will reveal himself in our times of communion with him. So if we're not seeing as much of Jesus as we need to see, maybe we need to slow down, invite him in, and just ask, Lord, come, live, sit with me, break bread with me. I want to have communion with you. So verse 33, 
We're just about done with the scripture here. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And they said, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. So the disciples are saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon, uh, Peter. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So this is the story, right? They go back and they've got a great story to tell the rest of the disciples. It's like, Jesus is risen. It's like, no, that's really cool. But tell, wait till I tell you what happened to me. This is great. This is how Jesus showed up in my life. And they go back and they, and they by the way, they went right back. This is seven miles. They walked seven miles home. It was night, they said. It's almost night. Come and have some food with us. Jesus breaks the bread. They see that it's him. They're like, Oh my gosh, we got to go tell somebody. And they go back seven miles right away. Because when you have a story of something that God did in your life, you just can't wait. You can't sit on it. You can't let it just grow stale. You got to tell somebody. And so they go back and they tell someone. This is the story of that encounter. Again, Cleopas means vision of glory. Very, very fitting name. And, and these two disciples had this had this encounter with Jesus while they were just taking a walk, right? But resurrection life kind of broke into their daily routine. And I want to bring this up sort of as, a, as we're landing the plane here, sort of to close. That's, that's the same way it is with your story. Cleopas and this unnamed disciple, they were just going about daily life and Jesus showed up. And then they have something to share that's going to be life to someone else. And that's exactly the same way it is with you. When you think, I'm just going through my ordinary life, let's keep our eyes open. Let's look for him because he's there and he's ready to write more into the story of your life. He's there to reveal what the scriptures mean to you. He's there to get your hearts on fire with the things that he's showing you. Your life tells a story. God's spirit lives in you, and so you're always, actually, whether you feel like it or not, you're always ready to tell your story because the spirit of God is inside you. 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it in gentleness and respect. Mm. It can be intimidating, I know, to speak in front of people. It can be intimidating to walk up to someone and say, uh, uh, let me just tell you the things I know about Jesus. You know, that's, that, uh, it's a little bit of an awkward way to start a conversation. But that's not necessarily how Jesus is asking us to do it all the time. Sometimes he might. Sometimes he might tell you, um, you need to go to that person and you need to say this. But sometimes he wants you to listen and wait for an invitation like he did with Cleopas. He wants you to wait for an invitation and then when there's an invitation, you can just begin to be who God created you to be, to share your story. And it can happen naturally. Um, Lawrence Vainot is a, is a pastor and a, and, a, uh, and a writer, and he said this. He said, when people see you, when they observe your behavior, when they hear your words, they are to be able to discern Christ's instructions to them from how you live. Just as they are able to read the New Testament epistles and learn how to love God and your neighbor, they are to be able to look at your life and learn the same lessons. There's more than one way to share your story. 
Sometimes sharing your story is just as simple as living as God asked you to live. Uh, Jesus put it this way, Matthew 5, 16. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God's restorative work in your life, the fact that God did something in you is evidence to people that God could do something in them. And so we can't hide that. We don't want to brag and boast and be prideful, but also we can't deny what he's doing in our lives, right? Um, You are a testimony. Your life tells a story. Paul wrote about this in his second letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3 says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts. It's known and read by all people. You show that you're a letter from Christ that he sent through us. This letter is not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It's not written on stone tablets, but on human hearts. Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they tell the story of what God is doing in people through their own lives. And I just wanted, I I felt like that was what we needed to start off with as we start talking about resurrection stories. Your life is a story. The books that we talked about at the very beginning of of, of the service, of the message, those are stories that made a difference in people when they received them. Your life is a story that makes a difference in people when they receive it. And it's because you've opened yourself up to Jesus and his transformative power, his resurrection power moves through you to release resurrection in someone else. Your story reveals God's story. It's what allows us to influence the world that we live in. Your story revealing the heart of God is what changes the world. 